Balton, you are tuned in to People Have the Power with special guest Jim James from My Morning Jacket. Really honored to have Jim on the show and was fascinating conversation about everything from new My Morning Jacket music to life and writing in COVID and his protest songs of choice from Bob Marley, John Lennon, and Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, and how Marvin Gaye is basically the fabric of everything he's done musically. So hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. So, so for you being there, it's funny because obviously we're talking about protest songs. Um, you know, talk about how all of this combines into what you're doing, the things that you're involved in now. And and I know that, you know, last week you gave me some quotes for the Team Joe Sings event, which I appreciated, which, uh, you know, because again, for me, my purpose has been to just, you know, write whatever I can from a music standpoint to help promote things. So I interviewed like Jeff Aroff, who, you know, founded Rock the Vote all of these things. So, you know, and I spoke to the guys, Nick and uh, Jordan, who created Team Joe Sings, you know, but for you, talk about how all of this ties into what you're doing and the things that you're working on at the moment. Well, I mean, it's funny. I've been thinking, I've been thinking about it so much. And I think one thing that people don't realize with protest songs, because when I think about the protest songs that I've written, and then I think about the ones that I love, I think one thing probably all of us writers have in common is we wish the songs were obsolete. We wish there was no need to listen to them. You know, that we had gotten past these points of hatred and these points of division and these points of uh, senseless, destructive human behavior that protest songs are trying to combat. You know, I think most people wish that most of these songs didn't have to be written to begin with or were, were like, just uh, memories, historical memories or something, you know, but. Uh, well, but it's interesting you say that because not to interrupt you, what I was going to say, what's fascinating, something that's come up so much during the course of the like 40 something interviews I've done for these shows is that, you know, but they're great songs still. So what people say is we wish that like, you know, again, when you look at probably the most cited song of all of them, no surprise. Well, there are two, uh, CSNNY Ohio, is one. And then you look at a song like Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, which is going to be 50. But yep. when you look at that song, you know, we talk about the fact that, you know, it's a bummer that you can't just appreciate it as a great piece of music and that it still has to be relevant. But certainly a song like that doesn't have to be obsolete because just from a musical standpoint, it's just a fucking brilliant piece of work. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's like that record and that song. I mean, that's my favorite album of all time, you know, and that's, that's definitely like, yeah, I mean, I think I mean more from like the lyrical standpoint. I think we wish it's almost like you wish they would have worked. You know, you wish that that what's going on would have gotten us to a, a just, a fair society by now. You know, but it's like it it hasn't. I mean, it's helped. I'm not discounting it or any protest song, but it's like I wish. Uh, I mean, whatever. A lot of us wish we were living in a different world, but I feel like being a musician. You just have to, at least the way I feel, you just have to to speak to things as they're happening. It's just like, it just, it's something that has to happen. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that, again, as an artist, you reflect the times. And it's funny because I talk about this with so many people and even artists. Like I remember an interview I did with Debbie Harry and Chris Stein from Blondie. And we spoke about the fact this was in 2017 when they were touring. And it's funny because, you know, there isn't a single Blondie song I can think of that you would call a protest song. But we spoke about the fact that for them, just letting people come out and dance and have a good time was a form of protest in its own right. Because just being able to give people a distraction during, you know, and especially during that first year where none of us, (laughs) where all of us, well, half of us had a great deal of apprehension and had no idea, you know, what we were in store for, that kind of distraction. So I think every artist, whether consciously writing protest songs or, you know, writing fucking B-52's Love Shack, which is a great song, and I absolutely love B-52's. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is still a form of protest in the sense of, like, there's something to be said for giving people a diversion from what's happening yeah. in the world. Amen. I mean, that's a line I, I, I always try to walk because I really believe that, too. I, I believe there can be overload, too. Like, I believe, like, you can be too preachy or hit, the, hit it too many times, you know, with... with uh, you know, all, always. So, uh, yeah, I feel like music is so healing. I feel like music is love and music is God and music is nature. And I feel like the way that we feel when music hits us is so feeling. Like, yeah, like if fucking Love Shack comes on by the B-52s, that to me feels so healing. And it does. It transports you and it takes you away from what might be grinding on you at the time, at the time. But I feel too, though, not just artists. I feel like all of us have the responsibility to speak up, especially when things are as fucked up as they are now. And the main way you can speak up is by voting. If that's the bare minimum you do, you know, you should do that. But I feel like every person has the responsibility to speak up. And as an artist or a songwriter or whatever, at least for me, it's like, the, a lot of times the songs just come out, uh, you know, just, they just come out. So it's like, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't even know how, how it works. Yeah. I know what you're saying. It's funny. Ben Harper described it best to me. It's like, it's like channeling. I think as Nick cave was saying was, you know, it's like you have your antenna up and the songs just come in, you know? Yeah. So, but it's interesting because with that in mind, what often happens is stuff comes up, right? and then because you don't know exactly where it comes from and so much of it is subconscious, then it comes back to you later on where you're like, oh, I didn't even know I was thinking that. So as you look at the music you've written during this time, and I don't know if you've written a lot of songs during COVID or not, you know, are you finding that there are a lot of things in the subconscious that are surprising you? Well, you know, it's funny because I've been getting a lot of ideas and I've been saving them. I always save them on voice memo so I don't forget them. And I've been getting a lot of songs and dreams and I've been getting a lot of uh, things, but my waking self has been in such a state of just feeling perpetually bummed that I haven't worked on them a lot. Like I haven't developed them or, uh, you know, taken them into the studio or whatever. Uh, So that part's interesting because I feel like there's a lot coming through, but it's like, I, I almost can't, can't handle it but I still love it and respect it. So I save it. So I don't forget it. Uh, But yeah, I feel like it's like uh, just trying to stay uh, coherent and sane is kind of like taking over uh, most days. 
Yeah, understandable, especially during this time. But it's interesting because before we come on to your first protest songs, one of the things that's really interesting is, right, if you look at stuff that's happening right now, and this ties into what we're talking about, like, I don't know if you've heard the new Springsteen record yet. That's my favorite artist of all time. The record's amazing. I just yeah. got a chance to talk for 90 minutes with Stevie Nicks, and we talked about her new song, Show Them the Way. And what's interesting is that, you know, speaking to the idea of music as a healing, what I'm finding right now from talking with some artists and seeing some artists is that, you know, rather than like Springsteen, I talked with both Steve and Nils from East Street Band and we talked about the fact you would have totally expected Bruce to make an anti-Trump record. And instead he made something that doesn't touch upon that at all. And right. it's interesting because you're finding artists are now sort of coming to the point of healing. And so for you, you know, are you finding that the music you're writing comes at, because this has come up a lot in the show. Look, there's two, there's protest songs, but then there are songs of healing. There are songs that get you fired up. There's fight the power. There's say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And then there's redemption song. And then yep. there's, you know, Dylan stuff that is more like, you know, just peaceful and healing. So for you, as the ideas that are coming to you, I'm curious, are you finding they're more in the, the fired up angry vein or more in the healing vein? Definitely not fired up angry. I feel like I had a lot of that energy at the beginning of, uh, you know, as all the stuff was beginning to unfold with this presidency. Uh, and before, I feel like I, I had a lot of uh, kind of fired up, angry energy coming out. But now I've gotten to more of a, uh, almost like I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to find whatever frequency uh the nature around me is resonating at and, and be in that frequency. Cause I feel like I don't, maybe all my endorphins are gone or something, but I don't feel, I don't feel a lot. Like I don't feel, uh, I'm having a hard time feeling. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah. But it's interesting. Do you think it's from the presidency or do you think it's also from the COVID and the fact, I think everybody's just in fucking sensory overload in 2040. Yes. Yes. It's from everything. Cause at a certain point, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just, yeah, it's like maximum. uh, Everything's on maximum override overdrive. Yeah. But it's interesting that you say that because it's funny. I mean, even talking about the healing, you know, look at a record like order of nature, which is such a beautiful record. It's Thanks. so gorgeous. And it's funny because like, as I, as I was prepping for this interview, I'm like, wait, so should we be talking about protest songs or Sinatra songs? You know, <laughs> cause it definitely has that symphony feel, you know? So for you, it's interesting. Do you find that even going back like to last year or the year, basically once you got out of that sort of initial angry state, that it was important to you to get into a state of healing and get to the point of, you know, focusing on positive stuff. Oh, definitely. I mean, I always try to turn it towards the positive, even if I am angry, you know, it's like, I feel like, uh, that's something I, I always try to do is take whatever it is and hopefully steer it towards the positive. Cause I think that's something that there's so much anger in our discourse right now as a society that I feel like the internet and social media enables this constant anger for, for people to just keep constantly be angry at each other. So I, I'm trying to be productive. Uh, sorry for people to turn their anger into aggression and be cruel to each other. So I'm trying to use my anger and be productive with it or my sadness and be productive with it. Uh, 
to hopefully express the emotion that I'm feeling and that I'm sure other people are feeling, but also hopefully lead it towards a, a better place. So it's interesting for you. Let's tie this in. What's your first protest song? Because one of the things I like to discuss, you know, I like to discuss with people how those songs influence your own writing and your own work. And it's funny because even on, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, even on non-protest song, you know, like you do find that even like, for example, for stuff of yours that again would be natural, would be stuff that ties in with nature. It's interesting because the best protest writers are also oftentimes just the best writers. Sure. So a lot of times that will influence you. So what's your first one? Uh, my first one is what's going on. You know, I, I feel like, you know, right when, uh, right after George Floyd was killed and I was uh, in Los Angeles at the protests, I saw several people holding up signs with lyrics from what's going on on them, you know? And, and I mean, like I kind of said earlier, it's like, I wish we didn't need those lyrics anymore. I wish we were past that and we could just enjoy the song musically or whatever. But I mean, that, that song and that record to me are the, the paramount, uh, like the pinnacle of, of human achievement musically. I feel like uh, everything about that record is uh, what I aspire to be with music. You know, it's interesting about that. It's funny because this is something that's come up a lot. And again, because it is such a, a wonderful, because it's such like, um, this came up too when I was discussing Stevie Wonder living in the city with someone as well. And those two songs, probably more than any other protest songs, Stevie Wonder living in the city and what's going on. They're so musically like palatable. They're so yeah. enjoyable that yeah. you can be a kid at five years old and you're like, this just fucking sounds great. Even if you have no idea what it's about. So totally. it's fascinating for you. How old were you when you first heard the song? And then do you remember when it was that you sort of started to understand the significance and that it was a protest song and it wasn't just this great R&B song that sounded amazing? Yeah, you know, it's funny because it was such a massive hit too. And it was on the radio everywhere as a kid. So, you know, that was a song I would hear at the grocery store or the dentist office or whatever. And it would hit me musically I remember this feeling that I had never felt before of feeling, it made me feel melancholic and sad as a kid, but also it made me want to dance. You know, it made me want to move through that. And I had never, I knew what it felt to like hear Jim Croce and want to cry or something as a kid or hear something like dancing in the street and, and want to dance as a kid. But I had never heard something that combined the two, like what's going on. And then uh, it probably was college. I remember in college, a friend of mine gave me, I had never heard the whole record before. And my buddy gave me the CD and I just put it on and laid down on my bed, you know, thinking I would listen to it for a few songs or whatever and go on with my day. And I laid on my bed and just listened to it over and over because I just could not believe what a record it was. I mean, to, to, for me, it was like a, a dark side of the moon style experience where I was just in awe of the uh, flow of the record and the, uh, the scope of the record and how it managed to be contained in such a short amount of time, but feels so timeless and so universal. 
Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so it's funny for you when you look at a song like that, because it's interesting because as we talk about sonically, it's such a pinnacle as well as lyrically. So do you hear its influence in your work, both lyrically and sonically? And again, oftentimes that can oh, be subtle. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I feel like that, that record, you know, haunts my, my dreams, you know, because I, it, it, it to me is, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think of things in terms of better or worse. You know, things are relative shades of whatever. But that record, in my mind, is is untouchable. You know, so I'm always looking to it as the cornerstone or whatever of the building I'm trying to build. You know, and it's like it's always the blueprint. And it's not like I'm even trying to recreate it or anything. But it's like it's it's somehow the foundation or whatever of of everything. Yeah, no, it makes sense that it's funny because, well, look, as I talk about with artists all the time too, right? You can never actually achieve what it is that you are trying to achieve fully because if so, what do you have left to shoot for? Yeah, I always imagine that, you know, Coltrane for a Love Supreme, we all may think it's perfect. I'm sure for him, he's like, yeah, this is cool. And then I'm trying to figure out where to go from there. So sure. it's interesting because what's going on is the blueprint for you. Do you find there are moments for you where you feel you've gotten closer or, or particular influences in particular songs or mo even moments in songs where you hear it the, like the strongest, the influence the strongest is what I'm trying to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, there definitely could be moments I would pick out. because it, it, To me, it shifts all the worlds together in this beautiful way that I don't think anybody's done as well before or since where it's like all the worlds are colliding, you know, there's an orchestral aspect, but you're also dancing and it's also protest driven or socially conscious or environmental awareness, lyrically driven. Yet it's also talking about God yet. None of it's too heavy handed and it all, you know, there's just, there's something about each shade of the rainbow of that record is perfectly woven together. You know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's like, uh, and again, it's like, even if whatever, even if I'm playing a fucking, uh, scorching rock and roll record or whatever, you know, even if the thing I'm doing is far away from, uh, from what's going on stylistically or what, or, or whatever, it's like, it's always still there in the back of my mind of like, what's possible. You know, to me, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like the air and the water. You know, it is such a a, a vital thing that it, I don't know. It's it's yeah. I don't know if I really even have words for for it. No, it's interesting. I know what you're saying. Are there other just to put in context? Then we'll come on to your next protest song. But just to put in context, you know, are there other records for you that that achieve that same sort of? I like the way you put it. Of of like you know what shows what's possible because as soon as you use that phrase two that came to my mind immediately are pet sounds and blue yeah yeah i can see that blue by johnny mitchell is that what you said yeah uh yeah i definitely agree about pet sounds uh but still with pet sounds though and, and pet sounds is like whatever it's it's a, one of the temples as well it's one of my favorite records but to me what's going on speaks to a broader a swath of humanity. You know, I feel like what's going on speaks almost universally, you know, and, and 
where Pet Sounds does it in some extent and for some songs, but I, I mean, I feel like you would be hard pressed to find someone who did not uh, feel in the depth of their soul the power of what's going on. No, I agree with that. I'm not comparing, but I'm just curious if there are other records that have that, that sort of um, similar effect on you, maybe not to the same length. And it's funny because what you're saying in terms of the power of what's going on, I argued for so many years just the type of things that music geeks will argue. That to me, there was no bigger rock star ever in the history of the world than Bob Marley because of the universality yeah. of Bob Marley. And well, because Marley- of the impact... On a global level, I was going to say, sorry, I was just going to say I have songs like Redemption Song, Get Up, Stand Up, No Woman, No Cry. You know, I mean, you want to talk to someone who, you know, that universal power. That's so funny because Marley is my next choice. And to me, Marley is like, again, like when I think of Bob Marley, I think of he's like air or water to me. You know, like his music's that important to my life. You know, it's like, it's it's food for my soul but i but i feel like and i love uh, you know all of his albums but i feel like as an album as a uh, conceptual piece of music i still feel like what's going on uh just in my opinion resonates the the, the most to me but yeah bob, bob marley's i'm not disagreeing with you absolutely yeah. you know yeah but so what's what's bob marley's song one love people get ready. Okay. Cause I just have always felt like that song. I love how he wove Curtis Mayfield into the fabric of that song. Uh, and I've always loved people get ready by Curtis Mayfield, but I, but I feel like, uh, one love again, it's like, I, I hate to keep using like cornerstone or, or foundational or what, but I feel like one love is like, uh, what else do we need to hear more as human beings than, than that, you know, than the, this idea of one love, you know, that everybody's the same. And uh, I don't know, there's just something about that song. I think, especially when you see like kids hear that song or something and see the way it resonates with them. Uh, yeah. It's just so, so natural. Right. No, I agree. I mean, so it's interesting for you because I think one of the things about that song, right? This goes back to what we're talking about, the songs of healing. Like to me, yeah. that's a Bob Marley song that is 100% healing and yeah. makes you feel good. So it's interesting. When you look at the sort of light in that song, you know, do you have moments in your own music where you feel you have, again, come close to that or where you feel that sort of, you know, because again, that's a song you can hear as a kid and it just makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I, mean, I hope so. You know, I, I hope that goes into my music. You know, it's like I, I don't. I know that's the one thing I'm consciously trying to do is is inject hope into music because I feel like so much of music is unconscious or it comes from this place, you know, where that you don't really understand. Uh, but whether it's melodically or lyrically, I'm trying at the end of by the end of the piece or somewhere in the piece to inject hope into it. Because for me, it's like, I don't want to walk away from a song feeling sadder than I did when I started listening to it. You know, I want to feel comforted somehow. And that's what 
so many of my favorite songs do for me. So I, I try to do that somehow. You know, I, I guess it's relative to to the listener as to whether I achieved it or not. Well, but it's funny for you. I mean, again, it's it's when you go back and look at certain songs, are there songs where you feel it or you come close to or it's it's, you know, or where you see it in there that maybe again, because even trying to do it, even if you're consciously trying to do it, it may not you may not realize you've achieved it until you go back and look at a song later on. And it's funny because when I think of the it's funny that you say that though, about you want to listen to a song and make you feel comfortable. Dude, sometimes there's just something about a great fucking sad song though. You know, that Elton John song, Sad Songs Say So Much. So yeah. as a side note, is there one, uh, what's the one song that just gets to you every time you hear it? That, that one song that maybe it's, they make you cry, but it's, it would be like the, the musical equivalent of Brian's song, The Ultimate Tearjerker. <laughs> the Ultimate Tearjerker. God, that's funny. You know, it's funny that you asked me that. Because, I, I mean, I grew up, I love sad, sad music and sad songs, but I feel like I've spent the last... 20 years trying to not feel that way anymore. You know, it's like, I don't, I, 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 I've gotten into gospel music and, and I, I don't know, like there's like things where I can feel if I'm feeling sad, I get the hit that I need from like the sad song, but I also get the uplift that I am looking for that I don't get from like crying to Joni Mitchell blue or, crying to uh you know some mark kozalik song or something that i i may have grown up crying to that i needed to and i'm not knocking those in any way but i've spent the last half of my life trying to get away from that because i feel like that always left me on the floor in depression and, and i struggle with depression so i need help getting up off the floor so if i can find some uh something like what's going on for lack of a better uh, explanation, something that gives me that hit of sadness, but then lifts me up, makes me want to get out of my chair and, and go out into the world again. I feel like that's kind of what I'm, what I'm looking for. Well, let's flip it then. And, and those songs that make you happy, because it's funny as you're talking about songs that make you feel good to me. And this actually, it's funny because I always felt this as a kid and then it was actually scientifically proven or proven. It was voted in a survey in England as the happiest song of all time is ELO, Mr. Blue Sky, you know? And that's, that is just like, dude, that's just, fuck. I mean, that's literally just sunshine in a song. Also the kinks better things for me is another song that absolutely. And it's funny because no one is ever going to confuse Ray Davies with the singing in the rain type happy go lucky dude. But there's just something about that song. So, so for you, what are those one or two songs then? that just instantly bring a smile to your face that, that just, what do you need that hit to put you in the world without the sadness that goes with it? Well, definitely one love. Uh, a lot of, uh, I don't, I like, I, I've been listening to a lot of toots since he passed. He's got a song called sweet and dandy. Do you know that song? Yeah. It's just, when you hear sweet and dandy, it's just like, you just feel happy. You know, you feel that's one I've had, uh, on repeat a lot lately, like wanting to feel that, that happiness. Nice. Yeah. I got to interview Toots just, uh, sadly just a month before he passed. Wow. What a great day. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I mean, when I was talking with his publicist about it afterwards and writing about it, the one thing that he just had this laugh, it was this larger than life. Did you ever get to meet him? 
I just briefly, he, he played, we played a show with him uh, a couple years ago, two or three years ago. And I just shook his hand, whatever, but I didn't get to hang with him or anything. Yeah. Just everything he would say, he would like do with this big bellowing laugh. He seems like he would have an amazing laugh. His presence, something about his presence is just so radiant and so beautiful, you know, and the way that comes out in his voice, like his spirit, uh, is similar to Curtis Mayfield. You know, like I feel like I look to Curtis for a lot of that too when I want to feel that radiant, uh, beautiful sunshine energy. Uh, you know, yeah, something about, uh, I mean, I've been more focused on Toots lately, I guess, since he passed. But yeah, that 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 energy to me is like just that pure life energy. That's what keeps me going. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think also, as we talked about, I mean, I think during this time, it becomes more important to have that energy and, and that light, you know? Yeah. I can't stay too long with uh, a song that's too sad. You know, I I can't, I just can't physically do it anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and again, I'm not in any way knocking that because I know a lot of people that that saves their life or whatever, in whatever way they, deal with music. I just haven't, haven't been able to do that. No, fair enough. That's interesting too. I mean, it's, it, you know, because it's funny. So you grew up with, like you said, a Mark Kozalik or like, you know, when you say that, I think of a, uh, you know, there are certain Tom Waits songs that are some of the fucking saddest songs ever written. Yeah. Like Ruby's arms, for example, which is an incredible mm-hmm. song. Or I think of an American music club apology for an accident. You know, Mark Eitzel, what a great songwriter. But it's interesting. So you grow up with stuff like that or whatever your version of those saddest songs were. And then you come into the light and you find like a Toots or a Curtis Mayfield. So it's very interesting for you when you go back and look at your progression as a songwriter. Talk about are there particular moments where you see those those worlds converge or where you've noticed them most come together in your work? Well, it's interesting because I feel like my work mirrors, you know, obviously I think all of ours does mirrors my musical taste. So I think I've, I've written tons of sad songs or, you know, uh, like I was into at the time or what I was feeling. Um, but it's like, I don't know. There's always been something about the release of uh, the dancing to a sad song. You know, I think that's what, uh, when I think about Motown, that was what they were the champions of was making those crazy minor chords come in and you're getting hit with this feeling of sadness, but you're getting the beat is like keeping you going. Um, so I feel like that that's like something, even if it was an album or whatever, I still wanted to inject uh, bits of the beat into their bits of the motion uh, combined with the laying on the floor uh, crying aspects of it. Well, so it's interesting. What I was talking about though, it's funny for me, you know, I guess like you say, every, you know, everyone's art, everyone's music reflects, you know, their musical taste, but it's interesting because when you're talking about the two levels of emotion, that's, what's kind of interesting to me is when you can find those things sort of, um, I don't know if you find those levels of emotion sort of merging 
into one. That's what I was kind of asking at if there's, you know, where you find the two worlds combine into one place. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I try to do that as much as I can. That's my ultimate goal. But I don't know if I could say like one song or if that's what you're asking, if I could like name a song of my own, but I, I or don't a know. Couple, yeah. One or two or, you know, whatever. Or, and, and again, it's funny because I don't ask ever specifically about certain songs because I like to leave it to the artist to talk yeah. about the songs that, you know, that reflect where they're thinking. So like, well, I'll never I mean, ask, you know, well, oh, what's the song about, about? Like protest songs or whatever. Like when I think of my own protest songs, like, uh, I've got a song called same old lie that like has a lot of heavy lyrics and it's kind of a heavy song, but I tried to inject, uh, some strings into it. And I try to inject some other melodic elements that would make it feel uplifting. And I also try to end lyrically on a happy note. Um, I try to, uh, I try to suggest those things, even if it's like a, a sadder, uh, heavier song. I try to still suggest uh, towards towards the light, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what's your next protest song? Let's see. Give Peace a Chance. Nice. You know what's so funny? <laughs> To me, I would argue that John Lennon was the greatest protest songwriter of all time, even more than Dylan for me, because the way that he mixed the personal and the political so, you know, intrinsically. And yet what's so funny, you're really only the second or third person who's picked a John Lennon song. So why that one for you? Well, give peace a chance. I mean, from the moment you hear it, it it's a mantra. You know, it's more than a song. It's more than a, a... and the cool thing for me too is give peace a chance. I feel like it's a, a mantra that can always be adapted for whatever generation is singing it. So uh, I had uh, Dave Eggers write some additional lyrics for it when I was covering it a few years ago that uh, you know reflected more what was going on right at that moment. But still, you know, it's all contained within the uh, melodic structure that that Lennon set up. But there's something about that song and, and that recording. I think the, the casualness of it makes it so powerful because right off the bat, you're like, this. we can be playing this song in the park. We can be playing the song in bed. We can be playing it marching down the street at a protest. It is, uh, you know, it, it doesn't shout, sound produced and polished or shiny. You know, it's messy and raw and, uh, and joyous and angry. And, you know, it kind of has all of the emotions. Uh, and I was kind of going between uh, power to the people, you know, and, and give peace a chance, but I feel like uh, there's just something, give peace a chance is almost like a spell. You know, I feel like it's, it's uh, like a, it's good magic. You know, when you hear it, it casts a spell on, on you and the environment around you that just, uh, it's magic. That's another one, though, that you can hear as a kid, and it just sounds so great, even if you don't know, even if you don't understand the message. So how old were you when you first heard that one? Do you remember? You know, that's one of those ones that's just kind of in your DNA, you know, like I'm sure I heard it just off the fucking radio in the back of my mom's car or whatever. You know, it's like I I don't uh, I don't even have any conscious memory of it. Isn't it wild that for a person like me, uh, 
it's it existed before I was born. You know, so somewhere in there, yeah, it's always been a part of me. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, for you then, because like you say, it's a mantra. It's something bigger, you know. And who was it I was talking with? I don't remember. I think it was James Bay. And we were talking about, you know, the idea of when you write a song like Ohio and how that has a sing-along feel to it too. And he's like, man, if you have a protest song that has a sing-along as well, he's like, that's like an extra added bonus because everyone's singing it and give peace a chance. Well, that's a chant, you know, everyone is doing it. So it's interesting for you. Have you ever, would you say that you've ever um, attempted a chant? And if so, what's the closest you've come to an actual chant? That's funny because I feel like I play a lot with uh, chanting or just repetitive music. Like I play a lot with that in my improv or in my own personal time. I don't know if I have, I have a song called Over and Over that's uh, meant to keep going over and over and uh, kind of has a bit of a, a deliberately repetitive quality the chords never change and the uh you know that kind of thing um but i I don't know if i've done uh well i don't know it's a lot of these questions are funny because i don't really think about the music that much you know because i i love going on to the next thing so it's like once it's gone i really don't think about it but i guess maybe like a song like wordless chorus i've done i did kind of as a chant because I wanted this wall of vocal melodies to hit the listener and make them feel good, even though there was nothing being said. I just wanted that, that thing, you know, and that is a fun song to play live when everybody sings it with us. It's just this wall of uh, hopefully healing, pleasurable sound that's coming at you, but your brain doesn't have to analyze anything. There's no information. Uh, that's why I love Alice Coltrane so much. I feel like she's inspired me to do things where it's almost like your your brain is just, it can't process the language because either it's a foreign language or there is no language. And I feel like give peace a chance almost does that with the words give peace a chance. But, you know, it's obviously saying something, but it still hypnotizes you in the same way. That's so funny, by the way, that you say that, you know, these questions are funny because I have a lot of artist friends and we'll joke about the fact that, you know, most artists tend not to analyze their own work or don't really have to think about joke with them. You don't really think about it or have to analyze it until asshole journalists come along and ask (laughs) you to think about everything. But, you know, it's interesting, though, because I think also, you know, it's funny because I think for a lot of artists, that's why I always ask about stuff that, you know, maybe with a different perspective, because I think the thing is, too, as an artist, music changes for you over time and that includes your own music oh you know so so i guess it's you know it's funny because a lot of these things are probably things that maybe you didn't think about at first and then it only looks at you know so other particular songs of yours and it's like that you look back on that you now hear in either a different way or something that's come up a lot too is is you know sort of how prophetic songs often tend to be and i think for the best songwriters you know there is a sense of, you know, whether you're tapping into something as an artist or whether you are, as Nick Cave put it to me, like you're, you're searching for something. So in your songs, like he was saying, he writes happy songs when he's sad 
and a song like, you know, sure. Into Your Arms, which is one of the most beautiful songs ever written. He was strung out on heroin in a, in a church when he wrote that, you know? Right. Or actually, I believe it was a hotel room, he told me. So it's interesting. Are there songs of yours that you go back and hear in a different way or that you also are surprised to realize how relevant they are to your life today? Oh, definitely. It's so wild. Because I think if you if you start thinking about a song, at least for me, it's like a song is a seed. Like there's this thing that comes from the universe that that is the initial idea of a song. And somehow that gets filtered through whichever earthly being is writing it. But then also a song is limitless because any song you could play it forever. You know, it doesn't have to start and it doesn't have to stop and it can go on and on. We timestamp it because of re- recorded technology has placed these time limits on music for so long. But as we discover live, especially as we play these songs, it's like the songs grow and change with you uh, as you change and grow. And the song's change keys. They get faster. They get slower. They get longer. They take on a new part, whatever. It's like, that's part of the, uh, the part of it that's so exciting to me is that there's not, uh, there's no, like give peace a chance. You can rewrite the whole fucking thing, uh, to reflect whatever time you want it to reflect. You know, there's not, uh, I don't know. It just feels so natural. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any more protest songs? I mean, you know, we, we could talk about them all day long. Um, Were there any in particular that really, because it's funny, again, everyone brings different amounts or there's ones that are, you know, really stand out or that are the most, you know, significant? I mean, the the, the last one of my main list was uh, A Change Is Gonna Come. Uh, nice. Because I think that, I mean, that song is just sheer... Uh, sheer power you know talk about talking about heavy subjects but but having a uh a positive uplifting refrain a hopeful message but it it feels it feels like everything at once you know that song is crushingly sad and 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 also very very uplifting uh you know there's there's that's a song too that uh can be carried throughout the generations and, and used as needed. Yeah. I mean, it's another one of those ones that's just timeless and classic and yeah. And it's funny because that's one of those ones though, to me that even though obviously it was written at a specific time, because it feels like an idea, like give peace a chance that can resonate at any point. Yeah. Cool. So what's coming up for you? I know that you guys released the, the, you know, waterfall two earlier this year. You know, I mean, is there like, have you been working? So you said you had a lot of ideas, but it hasn't necessarily translated into complete works. Is there a timeline for doing more stuff or right now? Are you just kind of focusing on, you know, different political activism and benefits? Well, kind of everything. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to do as much as I can to help with the election and, and with the pandemic and just do whatever benefits I can do or rallies or, uh, but we also did uh, a new uh, My Morning Jacket record that we were finishing right before the pandemic happened. That uh, so sometime that'll come out. I don't know when. Uh, you know, whenever we can tour again or whatever. But um, 
Yeah, it's wild. There's a lot of old stuff that I have recorded but never mixed or never finished that I've been working on. Uh, some of that was the Waterfall 2 for a while. And uh, there's some other things that, that I have that I'm just working on trying to finish. Because it's interesting, the, uh, the seeds are still coming, which I'm so grateful for. So like, I'm getting ideas and I'm singing them into my voice memo but there's a certain heaviness to life and a certain sadness to life right now where I, I don't have the, uh, the energy to, to create, to take that seed and, and nurture it into a new song. But I still have this other part of my brain. That's like this uh, work energy that I can take an old song or something that's in progress and, and work on it and kind of foster it along. Uh, so, so that's been fun to get in touch with some of those older things. Uh, but yeah, it's just such a, uh, my brain's in, in such a different place right now that I feel like I'm not, uh, it's not in that uh, birth giving uh, phase. Well, now it's interesting. Where did you record the My Morning Jacket album and when did you finish it? Uh, out in LA. Um, but we kind of, was really actually wild. Like the guys flew home uh, literally as, as it was getting, uh, you know, as that first, uh, mid-March wave of the pandemic was starting to, uh, come down as the curtain was coming down and people were starting to be like, all right, don't fly. Don't, don't do anything. You know, the, I think we kind of wrapped up sessions early March, uh, and then everything was shut down. And for the first couple months, uh, it was a really welcome distraction for me to be able to still you know, take those sessions and finish vocals or editing or whatever I had to do to it and, and mixing and all that stuff. Um, so it's, it's interesting to have done that before this whole time now, and it'll be interesting once uh, we can tour again or go out and play it, uh, what it'll feel like and how it will change. Cause it might change too. You know, there might be uh some of it might not feel good anymore or what, you know, it's like, I, I don't really know. Well, no, I was going to say that's really interesting because obviously you'll be in a different mindset, but it's funny because I mean, I think for a lot of artists at the beginning of, of the pandemic, you know, there was a wait and see attitude. And then when people realized that, okay, this is really going to go on for some time, that kind of changed. So I'm curious, is there a timeline? I mean, could you see yourself just releasing it before you know that you could tour for it? Because I mean, again, I spoke with like Nils and Steve from East Street Band and that record was done last year and it was held and held and held until right. finally Bruce was like, dude, the world just needs this record to feel good. Right. Yeah, you know, that I'm sure that'll come into play. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens as time rolls on. But yeah, if, if enough time rolls on, we probably <laughs> will just release it. Cool. What do you want to add I didn't ask you about? Because we've talked for a while and, and I know that you still have a benefit to get ready for and all that. I'm good if you're good. Yeah. No, dude, this was fun. I appreciate it. I appreciate your song choices. And yeah, hopefully I didn't ask you too many asshole journalist questions where you, you know, felt like you were on the couch. <laughs> no, it's all good. Cool, dude. Pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much, Thanks man. Have so a good one. See you. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You have been tuned into People Have the Power with special guest Jim James from My Morning Jacket. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as we did. Thanks. Tinder.